Welcome to the Dive into Reiki podcast. I'm Natalie, and together we will enjoy a series of conversations that explore the journey of Reiki practitioners and teachers from all lineages. 100% Reiki-focused stories, 100% human. Hi, welcome to today's episode of the Dive into Reiki podcast, and I have a wonderful guest with me today, Kelly McDermott who's based in Vermont and has been bringing heart-centered healing to people and animals in Vermont since 2006. Kelly trained in the Let Animals Lead method of animal Reiki with Caitlin Prasad, with Francine of the International House of Reiki, and Yakuten Inamoto of Komyo Reiki-Do. She's a certified meditation and mindfulness uh, teacher and end-of-life care for companion animals, Tula. She's also the East Coast Director and Ethics Officer for the Shelter Animal Reiki Association and is on the board of Tree of Life for Animals in the US. When it comes to humans, Kelly was instrumental in creating the Reiki program at the Rotland Regional Medical Center and helped develop the hospice Reiki program in Rotland as a trainer and volunteer, among other achievements. Kelly, thank you so much for saying yes to the interview. Oh, thank you for asking me, Natalie. I really appreciate it. It's so much fun. I, For those of you listening or viewing, I've known of uh, Kelly for years. We have been in many Zooms together. It's the first time I get to chat with her, so I'm really excited. And I'm going to start this interview the same way I start with everyone. And when is the first time you came into contact with Reiki? Hmm. Well, this is an interesting story because I've, I've always been kind of, you know, for years I was a seeker, like in my 30s, I really wanted to find, you know, just kind of find a spiritual path, actually. And, um, and I got into Wicca. And I was living in Maryland at the time and we had a circle one evening and one of the women did Reiki, uh, the woman that led the circle. And I hadn't, I didn't really know her, but um, this was, I was like two weeks away from moving to Vermont. And um, so we, we were in the circle and she came around to everybody and said, um, do you want to feel the hands of a healer? And I thought, you know, she had told us a little bit about Reiki and I thought she was just going to do something. And then she took my hands and went like this and folded them over my heart. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And then in the, you know, the craziness of moving and, you know, going to another state and everything, um, it really didn't come up again. And, um, uh, you know, I've always, well, I, you don't know this. I spent some time in Japan when I was in high school. My dad was um, working there. Yeah. So, um, so I was always fascinated with Japanese stuff, you know, so. Um, my dad and I were very close and while I was here and he was in Maryland, he, um, he had some surgery and it didn't go well. So he went into a coma and I went down to Maryland to be with him. And after he passed, I came back and right after that, there was a, um, there was a sign for somebody teaching Reiki. And I just, it just felt like my dad lined that all up for me, you know? And, uh, and so I signed up for the class. It was level one in the, um, uh, what is it? The Reiki Alliance uh, lineage, and uh, took my first level one class. Turned out I was it was a private class. I was the only student, and you know I I did it because I wanted to help. Like after my dad's passing, I was like, you know, I don't ever want to feel like that again. I want to. I don't want to feel like I'm helpless. So that was one of the reasons I took it. But then I started seeing like, oh, my God, I just love this. And, you know, it feels so good. And the self-treatment is wonderful and all the energy moving. And I never experienced something like that before. And so I just fell in love with it immediately and did my second class with the same woman and then just kept going. So it, was, it hooked. It hooked me. <laughs> Well, that's a beautiful story. And, and being in high school in Japan, I'm like so jealous. It must have been beautiful. <laughs> I'd like to go back as an adult, frankly. <laughs> and it's on my radar. Uh, you know, as a, as a teenager, it was my last year of high school. So it was a hard, hard time. But, um, but it was also really um, stimulating and fascinating. And, you know, being a, we lived in a Japanese neighborhood. We didn't live with the Americans. And so... Uh, so it was kind of challenging to get around, but also really exciting. It was quite a time. Did you get to speak? And I'm trying to learn for the last three months and I can only order coffee and tell you this is my favorite <laughs> restaurant. That's as much <laughs> as I can do. I, it's Kochi. I speak a little Japanese. A lot of it went away. You know, after I left, I just had, didn't have the opportunity to practice it. 
but I am now doing Duolingo and I'm over a hundred days. So I'm just like really excited. Like let's bring it back. Some of it is coming back, but a lot of it isn't. So I survived six weeks with six sentences and I got around the whole country like in weird towns. So yeah. It's- well, you know, we're the only ones who don't speak more than one language. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's really, um, it was really exciting because, you know, I, we had actually, we had a, um, a woman who uh, took care of my brother and I and did the cooking and stuff like that. And, and um, she didn't speak any English at all. She was in her eighties, probably. She was really uh, adorable lady. And, um, and so she, um, you know, we would somehow communicate with her and everything worked out in the end. And, you know, most people over there we found um, did speak some English at that time. I mean, I'm talking 70s, late 70s. And, um, and so, you know, we, we made, um, we made friends with some really nice people nearby. And there was a, there was a guy who owned a yakitori shop who um, just really had a um, relationship with my little brother. He was like fascinated. My brother would stop and get his yakitori. And so then they invited the whole family to come for dinner and everything. People were just so gracious and lovely beautiful especially with youngsters because they don't have a lot of young people like in the towns outside the cities so they are lovely so coming back a little bit to reiki right you did your reiki one reiki two you fell in love with it but most training especially at that time when you started was like really human based how did you realize actually i love sharing reiki with animals like how how did that happen um yeah you know i have cats here of my own and i've always been an animal lover and I just kind of thought, well, you know, how is there anything? I wanted to know if there's anything on animal Reiki specifically, and um, found Kathleen's uh, Kathleen Prasad's uh, animal first animal Reiki book was on Amazon. It hadn't been released yet, and you know, I just happened to find it. And so then I, you know, signed up to have it sent to me as soon as it was released. And I was so excited. And then I I read that and um, and wound up and of course back then we weren't practicing the let animals lead method, um, so it was a little bit more um, you know we were doing the meditation but it was more of a human reiki application um, but being very mindful of how the animals responded and um, and then I did a correspondence course with her and then after that I was like oh I got to go out there to to Bright Haven in California and do my teacher training. That's that's commitment. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was committed. I was really committed. It was really an unusual sort of um series of events because you know I just it was uh kind of a leap of faith, I guess I'd say. Yeah, and that those are the ones that pay off a lot in my experience, right? Yeah, and they're Reiki, they're Reiki charged a lot of times. You know, it's sort of like you start doing Reiki and then these doors open and it's amazing. That's beautiful. So since when have you been practicing animal Reiki? And perhaps if you can tell us a little bit of your experience and how your practice has evolved over time. Because as you said at the beginning, it was like mostly modifying hand position to animals and it has changed a lot. So if you can talk a little bit about that evolution, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, so I, um, oh, that's a good, where do I start with that? Um, so as I, as we all began, um, training and, and practicing with the animals, Kathleen um, and, and I stayed connected and then the Shelter Animal Reiki Association was born. And um, so I think I studied with her in 2008 and they were just, you know, she was just talking about that in our class. And so I was really interested in helping shelter animals. And so I've continued to study with Kathleen just as I have continued to study with Franz because once you find a good teacher, you want to stick with them. Um, and so, uh, as Kathleen has kind of evolved in how she sees the animals respond, that's how it, it kind of came into the let animals lead method. So we'd been actually practicing the let animals lead method of hands-off Reiki with them for a while before it actually, you know, got a trademark name. So, um, so really just sitting in the meditation space with the animals and I think a lot of this came out of our training, um, you know, with the International House of Reiki, because we both trained there. Um, and um, I think that, you know, so then we were more thinking of the develop self-development, like really working on ourselves. And then through that, being able to hold that space more 
um, gracefully with the animals and not, you know, um, forcing anything with them, not trying to fix anything, um, allowing them, always allowing them agency. So I don't know that we had, uh, it's been so long. I don't know that that was the language back then, but, um, but as we all practice more and more with the animals, it was really clear, especially going into shelters, how we needed to be hands off anyways, you know, and just sitting in that beautiful Reiki space with them was how we could, um, could do that. No, and it's funny because many lineages have like hands-on Reiki on, hands-off Reiki off, but mm-hmm. I think sharing Reiki with shelter animals or even like wild animals like that you cannot really approach and touch is a good example that if we are in the space of light, and again, we're in a Reiki space, like, you know, we can still share this beautiful healing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, when we're just sitting in that meditative state and we're just allowing, our, we're working on ourselves, first of all, that's the most important thing is that we're working on ourselves to let go of the anger and the worry, not bringing that into the Reiki session with the animal, not seeing the animal, for instance, in a shelter as damaged or, um, you know, bringing pity into that situation. And so um, through that, um, the animals are more comfortable to be with us with, you know, and they may come up, but we're always mirroring what they show us. So we're not putting our hands on them unless they come over and look like they're okay to be touched. And if we do reach out and they back off, then we back off. So we're always following them, following their lead um, and allowing them to decide how they want the session. And um, I think uh, for Kathleen, she discovered, and I, you interviewed her. It's been a while since I, um, um, I saw that, but, um, her, her thing was like, she would, she would meditate and her dog would sit with her, but the dog didn't like hands-on. And I had a cat like that. My cat didn't like it, but when I'd finished meditating, she'd be behind me on, I'd be on my bench and I'd look around, she'd be behind me. So, um, and then we have other animals who are just like, I want to be in your lap. I want to be touched. And so always following how they want to have the session. And I love that because we usually as humans, we own the animal in quote marks Mm-hmm. versus being and the same way that the mind also rules over the body there is not a lot of equality in our relationship sometimes so for me giving the animal to decide giving it the respect is so beautiful right mm-hmm. it's i co-parent a little cat she's like a tiny savage she's eight months or nine months old but she's a savage little feral hunter <laughs> and it's funny because like she there is no way you can touch her but the other day i was meditating deep in this and i went really deep and she was crawling over me and she put her nose next to my nose. <laughs> and then when I opened my eyes, she was looking around me and it was such a beautiful thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. but, and she, and since then she has been a lot calmer. Like there was a big shift in her, but it was her coming. Like, that's it. She was ready for it. And I think that, that I learned from you and from Kathleen, because at the beginning I was the one running after the cats, you know, yeah. like. I spent, yeah. as I mentioned in the interview with her, I spent quite a few hours running after cats. And, 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 you know, they don't like it. And for me, it's also an insight for humans. Like, can we apply a little bit of this approach of, of seeing this person as perfect, as this person is actually leading the session in our human uh, Reiki practice as well? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it help. we wouldn't want somebody we don't know or even somebody we know just run up and put, put their hands on us and, you know, I'm going to give you Reiki. Um, and I've seen that also where, you know, practitioners will go over to an animal that's injured or something and just hands on. And, you know, it's just so unfair to the animal. Um, but also, you know, when we're in that, um, in that peaceful space, the animals are drawn to that. Now we're in that meditative space. It was funny because I just came from the shelter um, this morning and, uh, and the, one of the staff members, I asked if I could go in with one of the dogs who was in a, a front room. And he said, yeah, you know, just, um, you'll probably just sit there and he'll be across from you. And that'll be that he's not really, you know, coming up to people. So I sat down and like two minutes later, the dog came over and laid down next to me. <laughs> that was it. And so, um, so, you know, we don't, when we're doing a session with them, we're coming to them without any kind of agenda. We don't need anything from them. We don't need to do anything to them. And we're just holding that space again, just being with them in this heart space, you know, this beautiful light that we know about from Reiki and, um, and letting them, you know, decide, do they want to be in that light or do they not want to be in that light? And how long do they want to be in the light 
or not want to be in the light or do they want to be in and out of the light? I mean, it's all totally up to them. And, and it's so powerful because now they have the choice to be involved in their own healing if that's what they wish. It's, it's funny. So you sent me a Reiki one person to train in human Reiki. And what I found, it was so much easier to train because she had the right principles to approach a person that I was making a joke, like everybody should get Reiki one with animals first and then go to humans, right? Yeah. Because I think one of the challenges we have is the expectation and humans will tell you, I felt, I didn't feel. Animals teach us in a way of letting go. So mm -hmm. now I have this thing like, oh, maybe everybody should study re animal Reiki and <laughs> human Reiki because it's more difficult, right? It has more communication, more, I don't know, we want the person to feel and change and with the animals, we have to let go. We can't control them. Exactly. And it's challenging. Um, you know, I still have those days where it's like, what's happening is something happening. Cause sometimes I don't feel anything at all, even with people. And, but you do get that feedback. And so, you know, we, we do, um, when we do our training, we do have our students do chair Reiki because oftentimes when they go to work with an animal in a household, they'll work with the person first and just give them a little, um, a little chair Reiki. So they have an idea of what it feels like for their animal. And, and also because a lot of times the people really need it. Um, and, and often you can see how the animals responding, they might come over and sit with the person while they're getting chair Reiki, but it also gives the students an opportunity to get that feedback so that, you know, they, they have, um, verbal acknowledgement that something's happening and that, you know, takes a lot of pressure off of them as they try to build their confidence. It's really important for that. Beautiful. So when my dog, when I started practicing Reiki and I, you have no idea how many free sessions I did to get hours. So, and I will do them on the bed because obviously I didn't have a massage table or anything. And I will put my hands always like, like both hands, like parallel. And my dog will put his two paws on the person's body and look at me like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> and it was so beautiful, right? Because they, something, yeah, sometimes they literally want to participate. Like, oh, this is about putting the two paws. Look how well I'm doing. <laughs> It was the cutest thing, right? It's adorable. I mean, I have my dog, uh, my cat, uh, Bo. He's a big orange boy. And every morning I get my coffee and I get my phone and we come down here where I do all my Reiki work. And I'm just like, okay, Bo, meditation time. And he just runs down the stairs after me, gets in my lap. I do my meditation and he he'll, he does it every morning. He loves it. And sometimes he kind of guilts me if I don't come right down. He'll circle around me a little bit, but... But he loves it. He loves being in my lap. And then I have another cat who will come sometimes, you know, she has some health issues. And sometimes I can tell uh, she's not feeling so great. And those are the days she might come for a couple of days in a row. And then she doesn't come again for another month. So Beautiful. it's really wonderful to, you know, they have their own way of being with that energy and knowing what they need. I, I think Bo's like me, where I'm like, I would never say, well, it depends on who's doing it, but I would never say no to Reiki. Like, you know, if I could have it every minute, I would have it every minute, I think. But, um, but you know, Elsie's kind of like, well, you know, today I don't really need it. So I'm not coming down. And, you know, that's cool. It's also, she's in the space, like, you know, like, yeah, yeah she's already in that beautiful space of light and, and calmness and beauty. So, so I was reading a little bit. So what is your doula work? If you can talk a little bit about that part of your work as well. Yeah. So um, during COVID, I um, I took a course with uh, UVM, University of Vermont. On um, They have two programs. One's a human doula program for end-of-life care and the other's for animals and or animal companions. And, um, and so I have done a lot of work um, with hospice over the years anyway, and found and have worked quite a bit with animals who are passing. Um, so I just thought it would be a good idea to take a course like that and find out, you know, get more information, get some training. And um, so it's really fascinating. It's just very much about, um, you know, going, assisting somebody to uh, just like a human doula would do, like helping them through the transition of an animal, through the, you know, the impending grief, through, um, you know, trying to make arrangements, knowing who to call for. So I have like a resource list for my local area, like what pets would come to your house and where would you go for cremation and all that kind of stuff. So the things that, um, you know, sort of as a guide uh, for people as they're getting ready to say goodbye to the animals. Well, that's beautiful because you're supporting both the animal and the human 
going mm-hmm. through that process and in a practical and spiritual way. That is amazing because I had literally never heard about the doulas for pets or animals. And I was like, oh my God, like when our ex-dog passed, like, you know, it was so painful and we were not really equipped. We didn't even know when it was time to call the vet and we waited too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. But like, I'm like, wow, that is, it's the first time I hear about it. So I think it's great. So basically you can train of it in universities and all of that if people are interested. Yeah, the University of uh, Vermont has a program for both humans and, and companion animals online. I think they're doing a um, hybrid thing now. One of my students is doing it. And so I think you also can go up there. Um, but I know also um, uh, Bright Haven, Gail Pope at Bright Haven uh, in California, where I did my training. Um, they also have online um, animal hospice courses. Perfect. And imagine someone does a training and they're interested in perhaps being a doula for animals and the compan- well, I, the human companions is through the, but if there is a couple of tips you could share from experience, like, like for them to really watch out and be there for people, what will those two things or three things, whatever comes to your mind? Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is be a good listener. Um, and it's really important to not make it about you. Uh, but, you know, the same thing is holding space with Reiki is holding space while people share what they're dealing with. And so bringing what is called um, unconditional positive regard uh, and just letting the people, you know, share whatever they need to share and being a good sounding board for them, but not, you know, trying to fix anything. No, I think you said two things that for me, beyond animal or human, don't make it about you. <laughs> don't try to fix right and I, right. I never heard anyone in my interview say don't make it about you but that's true because when we're looking for expectations results it's all we're making the session about us so I think that's going to be my next big post-it everywhere don't make it about you <laughs> that's right that's right yeah you know it's and it's it's the same with Reiki you know where we're you know we're in in the doula sense we're, we're witnesses right so we're holding the space as a witness and guiding them uh, with you know anything they have questions about that's practical kind of things you know, um, but also just being you know being able to listen and get out of the way because a lot of times we do want to you know it's it's human nature to hear the experience and want to share your own experience to make that connection, um, but that's not helpful to somebody who's going through grief whether it's over an animal or a human so. Um, so yeah, just keeping that, um, that space all about the person who's doing, who's grieving. Yeah, that, that is lovely. And, and it's funny, sometimes we make it about ourselves without even noticing. So I think mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And again, how can we soften that big eye also with the Reiki precepts? But this is a good embodiment of don't make it about the eye, right? Like, right, exactly. Those exactly. anger, worry, everything is about that you or that I, whatever, depending on who we're talking. So I, I think literally I have my post-it now. <laughs> because well, you know, that's it. the same thing, you know, with working with animals is, you know, if we're coming in and we're bringing all our baggage about, you know, animals we've had in the past or, you know, like I, because I go into the shelter a lot, you know, seeing animals who have been abandoned or, you know, mistreated. Um, I can't, I can't bring that in there because they're going to feel that they're going to feel that energy. And so I'm just pouring gas on the fire of an animal who's already have having a difficult time. And so if I um, come in and as we always talk about seeing them um, with our Reiki eyes as beautiful beings of light and completely whole, no matter what they look like and, um, and recognizing, you know, just the divinity in them uh, and not, you know, bringing all this, the sadness that we might feel or the pity that may come up, not showering that on them. So I think that is also very important. And don't be like me. I fostered two kittens, kept one. So <laughs> you know, the kids, I'm done with kittens. I love them, but I'm done taking them in. <laughs> don't go to the shelter and end up with five pets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But that, that's, it's hard. That's hard. That's the hard part. Is there a tip for that? Not out of the whole shelter? How do you actually how do you stop from taking every animal home? Um, well, you know, I just read something the other day, this guy was, uh, and he's so right. He, um, works with dogs and he went in, there was a dog that had been at the shelter for 400 days and he went into the shelter and spent 
seven nights sleeping with this dog in a kennel and just keeping the dog company and trying to get him adopted, you know, bringing awareness to the dog situation. And the dog did get adopted and people were asking him why he didn't just take the dog. And he said, well, if I took every dog that, you know, I wanted to help, then I would, I'd have a thousand animals in my house. (laughs) And I think, you know, that's, you know, so I have, um, when I would go in, I would, my, the last cat I got was Bo, who's the orange boy. And um, and I would go in and I'd see orange cats and I'd just be like, I really want an orange cat. And then I'd leave and I'd be like, okay, if I don't, if he's not here next week, <laughs> I'm not going to even talk about it with my husband. I'm just going to leave it. And somehow, you know, Bo is just the one we were waiting for him, I guess. But yeah, there's a, there are so many that I would want to take home. It's just really impossible to, you know, that's, that's what stops me. It's knowing that I can't, I can't save everyone. No. And also I imagine also trusting the process that the right person who actually are their human made, soul made, pet made, or whatever you want to call it will show up. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Well, that's beautiful. I'll, yeah, that's, that's why like, again, I foster kittens only once and here I am. We have <laughs> a feral crazy little thing that I love to death and who hates my dog. So it's oh, no. <laughs> Well, more Reiki, more Reiki. <laughs> Just exactly. But they haven't been together that much yet. So I also wanted a little bit to talk about you as a person. So Kelly 2006 and Kelly 2023, when we're doing this interview, if if you could see what is the main difference in on how you live life a little bit beyond the Reiki, like how has that changed your life and the way you approach life in general? Um. Hmm, that's a really good question. I know um, it's a tough one, but it just it came. <laughs> Does everybody go? Ah, I want to hear that. <laughs> I, the first time I ask it this way. Sorry. Uh, okay. Sorry, okay. Me. So I, you know, it's kind of funny because Reiki had such a subtle um, way of changing me that I didn't notice it so much, but I knew from other people that I was changing, and um, and so um, one of the one thing that was really surprising to me and was like a real like hit over the head that I was changing was my husband and I had, um, we were doing some rearranging. My husband wanted to change some things down in this room where I spend a lot of time. And I immediately was like, no, <laughs> no, no, I don't want to. And then I just thought, why did I do that? And I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to say yes today. We'll see what happens. We can always change it back, which was just totally out of my you know, regular way of behaving. And so we changed everything around and I wound up being so thrilled, right? I just love the way the room came out and just opened up space for me. And, and now this is the room I practice in all the time. And this was probably, I don't know, maybe like 2009 or so. And, um, and so I had to look at that, like, why do I always say no? You know, what is that about? And, and I discovered too, when I um, spent a lot of time in the beginning with the second symbol, it was really hard for me to like hang out in that energy. And so kind of later on, after I spent more time with Reiki, it occurred to me that, you know, it's great to be grounded, but you can be too grounded and you can get to the place where you're stuck, which is where I was, you know, naturally, you know, I'm a, I'm a Capricorn, you know, winter's my time, I'm more of a grounded person anyway. But, um, but, you know, all the, I love, you know, chanting the first symbol and practicing with the first symbol. But then I was like, no, maybe I better start bringing that energy up a little bit. So that experience was really, um, it really was life changing because I started to look at um, some of the things that just are automatic, you know, reflexes that don't have any basis in anything. Just that's, you know, how I was kind of grounded and, and stuck. And so I'd just say no to everything and then, look, you know, close off all these opportunities. So that was such a uh, big change in, um, you know, saying no and then changing my mind, saying yes, and seeing how perfect that turned out when I did say yes, um, that it gave me the opportunity to pay more attention to how balanced I am in my energy, you know, and how much I'm, you know, it's really great to work with the um, practices that you love and to be really comfortable with. Uh, but often for me, it's like, well, you know, I really need to work with the stuff that is as a struggle. 
And so even when we did the um, back in the day when we were on the phone doing teleconferences for um, for workshops of Franz, um, we did one on the Reiki precepts. And I don't know about you, but my initial training with the Reiki precepts was like, um, put it on your mirror and recite it like three times in the morning and three times at night. And so we did this whole workshop on it. And so we recited them and then we were going to meditate on them. So we did that. And I was like, okay, do not anger. Nah, I'm not angry. Check. I'm good with that. Worry. Yeah, I worry. You know, my dad is a warrior. I'm a warrior. You know, and so I just kind of, it was like things I had to check off a list. It was really funny. But then I was like, you know, I should probably look at that. <laughs> I didn't go over that first one so quickly. And when I did, like I got out my dictionary and I'm like, Okay, so anger isn't just smoke coming out of the ears and the red face and yelling. It's, you know, some resentment. It's uh, silent scorn. I always laugh at my students are like, yeah, I know that one. And just subtle layers or subtle levels of anger that I wasn't taking into account when I was thinking about do not anger. So that really helped me to, you know, to recognize the the depth of the precepts and the importance of the precepts on how we do our own work. And I didn't get that in my early training. That was, you know, they were just out there. We read them and it was tradition, but it wasn't like take those things and work with them, um, which to me is really life-changing too. I mean, that's how we become brighter. That's how we, you know, let go of everything that we don't need and just, you know, be in our true nature. It's also such a description of the goal of Reiki, right? Like you have this practice so you can let go of anger, worry, be grateful and be more compassionate and your true essence. So it's <clears throat> the same training you had. And literally, I and I feel it a lot because I see it on Instagram. It's almost like they've become like an Instagram post instead of a meditation tool, right? We're like, yeah. And that's, especially when we're like, we identify as female, anger is not something we express so obviously. Right. And I love that you brought to the table that it's not, it can be resentment, it can be being sarcastic, uh, frustration a lot, right? We're frustrated. All of those. So when we say I don't feel angry, actually we have to check because there is no human being. I know they may not get stuck into anger because they evolved, but like everybody has those emotions at one point. So I appreciate right. you bringing that subtlety because sometimes it's also very literal, do not anger. Right. As you say, like, I'm not red, I'm not hitting, I'm not like throwing punches, I'm fine. Like, no. <laughs> there is a lot, especially I think females, we're like, when we identify as female, we are not allowed in society because then we're aggressive, we're non-feminine. So I think that one, we tend to go more to the worry one. Mm -hmm. But usually they're pretty linked, you know, yes. they're so separate. And yeah, you know, as a kid, I, you know, I remember my, my mom saying, don't, don't be angry. You know, you shouldn't be angry. Not and angry. I internalized that, obviously. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I did it because I grew up with a Spanish mother and drama and anger and like intensity is a thing. So, my family is the opposite. I'm like, can we please stop with the snapping? Can we please just breathe? You know, but that's not yeah. me. That's me the last 10 years, not before. <laughs> Every culture also is very different. Like a Latin culture will be a lot like effusive and a little bit like temperamental. But we all have to do that and, and work a lot. And I really, another thing that I love about what you said, when you said you used to say no, and then I said yes, is, is an opening, right? Opportunity, mm -hmm. opportunities. Sometimes to keep ourselves safe and centered, we close things, which is not, but we close it so much that we don't let life in and the good things in. So I, I found it a beautiful story also, firm and flexible, but also closed and open, right? Open-hearted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really profound moment for me to realize that that I spent a lot of time saying no for no reason just like that was my go-to yeah nope <laughs> you're a Capricorn you're made to do that I was like I have to process this first but still there just wasn't any it wasn't any wiggle room at all it's just like no <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> it's yeah it's I, I think at Scorpios say no half the time, but we go we go crazy. We don't think too much without like with the no and the yes. We go a little bit crazy as well. Beautiful <laughs> work, and and thank you for sharing that. I also wanted a little bit to talk about you know the way you see the Reiki community now a little bit in Vermont, uh, because every state is different. I know there were like also a lot of pressure with legalities and things in Vermont. So a little bit, 
how do you see it and your personal take on it? It doesn't have to be like perfect. Oh, well, I, you know, I did spend some time going up to the state house to sit in on the meetings that they were having the committee meetings about, um, um, registering Reiki or, you know, legislation about Reiki. There was an incident here where actually it had to involved a massage therapist, which there was no licensing for massage here in Vermont. Um, and so when that happened, it kind of put a light on, we don't have any kind of regulation here. So, um, so in the end, what happened was, um, they decided to just have us register, uh, which, uh, for a Reiki practitioner makes a lot of sense because they were, you know, just like they were doing in Massachusetts and other places, lumping Reiki in with, with modalities where people are getting undressed or where there's manipulation of tissue and all of that. And so, um, we had a, um, at the time, the Vermont Reiki Association also wrote a letter. So we had a good representation. A couple of us went up. And um, and so I just spoke with my senator recently, and she said that um, she didn't see it coming in again. Although I saw that there was, you know, we were still listed as a potential state on Reiki Unified, but that's not the case, um, at least not for the next couple of years. So uh, Reiki is safe here for now. And um but I am registered with the state and I have to um, give out a disclosure form so people know where to um, contact if there's a problem, um, have insurance and all that. So that, that is actually pretty reasonable, to be honest. Like I advise all of my students who do Reiki to want to go professional to get a liability insurance. And yes, also like do not undress people and check if you can also touch and because some states you cannot even touch or move so to check right the as well and i i love the fact that i talked to my senator so thank you so much for everything you do <laughs> thank you yeah i a small state right i bumped into her at the town common one day this <laughs> is like hey and then when i reached out i mean they're great when i reached out to her by email she she said, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but we're good and we're not going to have to worry about it. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm impressed now of talking to you. I'm like, wow, I don't think I can ever talk to a senator in New York. But like, that's the good thing, as you say, a small state. And Vermont is pretty relaxed as a state. It's pretty like an equal. Everybody has kind of a right kind of state. You know, if yeah, you... we're very um, I love living here. I just feel um, uh, the com sense of community here is really beautiful. and. Um, and actually, Vermont is the only state, I think, in the country still that has a Reiki association. So we were like the first state to have one. I don't know if we're still the only state to have one. And what would the benefits of a Reiki association be for like to be part of it or to create one if another state or someone else is thinking of creating an association in their state? I think, uh, well, it's, it was um, you know, there's a sense of community around it. And then back before COVID, um, there, we did a lot of um, um, events like cancer. Um, there's a cancer event up in Stowe every year that's like three days. And so we go up, practitioners would go up at their tables and, and we had a code of ethics. And so we would sign on that, you know, you'd sign off on that so that um, they felt like they had good, reliable people who were doing the practice um, with the, with the, attendees. So there were different events around the state and there are different, um, you know, people around the state that are members. That sounds delightful. Yeah. After COVID, for example, in New York, like the Reiki scene has changed so much. It's almost non-existent. Hopefully we'll come back. Yoga studios are slowly coming back, but hopefully stays where there are cars and people can drive around. They will be able to get together a little bit more. Yeah. We actually, I just actually started teaching human Reiki again. Yeah. in person i've been teaching over um animal reiki in person at the little red barn farm where um we met our i met my friend that you know and um so because that was all outside so in the summer i was teaching there uh but i just started um teaching again and it's so nice to teach level one and now i'm teaching both ends level one and shippuden so oh wow that's yeah nice. yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's great. It's really fun to be doing it again. And, you know, it's just so different. Um, it's a, I teach it differently now, or not differently, but I, I do have the additional knowledge of working with animals that, um, to me, really, I bring that into my people work. And I started to see that a lot, like giving good examples of 
how to be with a person in the space, just like would be with an animal um, without touching because, you know, traditional Reiki is a lot about hand positions and everything. People expect that. Um, but over the years working in the hospital and working with somebody who maybe had C. diff and I'm in PPE and I can't touch them, but I can still do Reiki or a hospice person who I can't, you know, I have to stand at the bottom of the bed or, you know, so, so having that um, additional practice of always thinking about being in that energy, expanding that energy, not needing my hands it comes from the animal Reiki too. I get that. Um, uh, word uh, affirmation from that i guess no it's it's beautiful and i think that is is probably one of the best tips that we can take from animal reiki to human reiki right and i'm gonna ask you a question i've never asked before to anyone don't hate me it's a very simple question mm-hmm. i use like you do holding the space the expression a lot and then the last last week someone said well, what do you mean by holding the space Right. And I think because when we've been holding the space, we're so used because we can feel it. If you have to put, because again, animal Rick is really about holding the space like 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. How will you define that for someone who is still very much into hands on? And when we're talking, you and I, like, yeah, holding the space. They're like, yeah, WTF, whatever they say. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that lately I've been having a lot of these sort of semantic talks about yeah. Reiki because. It is really hard to describe, and it's also hard to to put into words how what we're doing and how we're doing it. Is it an offering? Is it a um, a gift? What it you know? What are we doing? Are we being? Are we doing? But when I think of holding space, to me, it means um, calming myself, um, focusing on the light that's within me, and expanding that light without any judgment, without any expectation, um, unconditionally. And just sort of like I was saying with listening, you know, with listening to somebody who's in grief, of just sitting there allowing everything to happen. So I kind of see it as uh, allowing maybe would be the word. I think you, I will never have put it into those perfect words, but I, I love what you said, like feeling that inner light, extending it and allowing it to reach where it has to reach. I think it's beautiful. Thank you so much. And again, every interview I do, I steal from people. So now I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to have the right words. <laughs> well, I have to say that I loved your, um, when we practiced over COVID on Sundays, that was where I first met you or, or knew yeah. about you. And you did the very best um, uh, shine or the uh, three diamond meditation. I love how you do that. Oh, thank so you. Thank you. I, I do love the meditation a lot because it's, for me, it's a little bit what you say. I was the opposite of you. I was too much into the air. So really understanding, oh, if you have the roots, you know, and you feel safe, that heart can open, you have an anchoring to open. So just understanding the relationship and how those three energetic centers are so important. And mm-hmm. they are all unique, but they also together. And they're also not important, the limitation, you know, it's just beautiful, the qualities they have. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, with our practice, the let in with the let in let animals lead method of animal reiki. When we talk about animal, when we talk about animal reiki, the, the reiki part is for us, right? Yeah. So all those practices that we do, you know, the um, Joshin Kokuho and Station Tuitsu and everything, it's for us to be able to sit with an animal. I mean, there, a lot comes up when we're doing that. You know, we we um, it's a it's an honor, first of all, just like it is to work with a person. Um, but, you know, we need to be grounded. We need to be centered. We need to be um, letting go of anger and worry. And then also not getting in our head about how we want things to go. Because the minute we do that, the animal's just like, mm, no, <laughs> never mind. I'll come back later. I, I, I love it because they are so honest, right? You're going to have a human on the table and you can kind of feel it. They go like, and you can see they're dying to move, but they're not moving because they're trying to be respectful and doing what is expected of them in a Reiki session. Animals have no qualms. They'll just be like, lady, you're unfocused. Like you have a weird brain today. Ciao, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. You know, come back another day. And also, well, it was, I had a funny experience when I was at the Care Foundation re- this past week in Florida and exotic animals. And I worked with two animals who were ill. And there was a lot of commotion around me and everything. So I didn't feel like I was entirely in the space as much as I wanted to be. 
And then when I was done working with them, I went and sat with Lola the bear. She's a big northern black bear, but um, but I went and sat with her, and boy, was I grounded. I mean, just all of a sudden, everything in my head right down, and it was it was just amazing. Such a difference, right? Being around her energy, which is just heavy and grounded, and then you know being around the energy of these other animals and everybody going around and you know a lot of commotion happening. Um, it was a noticeable difference. And you just said something beautiful, right? Like Lola grounding you and sharing her space with you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of time, and this is my perception, I'm going to go and share Reiki with the animals. And it's a two-way street, right? Like Absolutely. I yeah. Am. I mean, the other the other guy I worked with when I was down there um, in Gozi, uh, big man-eating crocodile. <laughs> And uh, I was um, actually it was a teacher training a few years back and I was with my friend Jean and we were practicing Reju and we were sitting near his enclosure. And when I was um, doing Reju with Jean, I, I can never explain the stillness that I felt. And it wasn't me. I knew it was coming from Ngozi. It wasn't me because he was there and he was clearly aware of everything. I could just tell his awareness of everything going on was happening, but he wasn't moving and he was completely still. And I, I could feel that. And so when I did that radio, I think that's the only time I've ever come from that place of stillness. It was really something. It's beautiful. I also like, especially for radio and for people who are not into our lineage, attunement or initiation, right? Letting go and just being the space and opening your heart beyond, you know, you have to be in your heart, but also opening your heart because if it's, it's a unification ritual, right? So it means we're also going to get some beautiful things out of the person or the animal as well. So I, I love that description because I think in my head, I still like I'm sharing Reiki to my dog or to the cat. Like I still, with humans, I'm a lot better. Ironically, I'm the opposite. With animals, sometimes I still like, okay, you know, Gabby, little feral, crazy cat, come and give me stuff, right? Maybe she's teaching you how to be crazier. <laughs> oh my God, she's, she's, but she's, I adore her. Like she makes me laugh a lot, which lately haven't so much. So like, yeah, yeah. she brings that playfulness uh, because she's like a younger me in a cat version. She's like, like <laughs> oh, supposed to be like you. So well, she- we definitely see animals as teachers and healers. So that's, you know. One of our uh, six pillars of anim- of uh, let animals lead method, seeing animals as teachers and healers, and I've seen it over and over again. You know, they and Bo, he gets on the table with my people who come. I have to make sure they're okay with a cat, and they're like, "Yeah, bring it." <laughs> so he'll come in and he gets right on their on his own on their legs or on their belly or whatever, and he just hangs out. They have a deeper understanding than we will ever have. They're beautiful things. Yeah, they are. So we're approaching the closing and I have to ask you uh, one question I also ask everyone and it's the N1 uh, because when I see you, you know, you're so grounded, so smart, practicing for many years. If I'm a beginner practitioner, I'm like, oh my God, like you're so far away from me, but we all started at the same place. So do you have like an oops or a teachable lesson uh, that you would like to share with people? Something that perhaps seemed like a mistake or a misperception, but actually was a big lesson beyond the big room one and the mm. norm. And more about the practice per se. I, I had a really, I tell this all the time with the do not worry precept when we're going over that, that I have a friend who um, was really wanted to try Reiki. And I, I was kind of surprised I was doing like a little, at a little opening for a business. And so I was just doing little sessions and and I was fairly new. And, um, and so my friend was going to come and try Reiki and she's like super practical law student, the whole thing. And I, I was really surprised she wanted to do it. So anyway, she comes and she gets on the table and I'm, um, doing the session. And I, in the beginning, especially, I felt so much heat when I did Reiki somehow that doesn't happen as much anymore, but um, and now I have the confidence to know it's working. Right. So but, I'm there you know, too. Yeah. that's a nice part of it. So I'm doing the session and I'm thinking the whole time, just like, what is going on here? I'm not feeling anything. She's going to think I'm crazy, blah, blah, blah. So at the end she gets up and she's like, wow, that was really cool. I've never felt anything like that before. <laughs> that's like my, my lesson is if I had been present, <laughs> and not been in my head about the worry and what was happening and not happening, it would have been an amazing um, session for her, but I got in my own way. And so that was a really good lesson for me on 
letting Reiki do its thing, trusting Reiki, and knowing that just because I'm not feeling something doesn't mean the other person isn't feeling something. I appreciate you very much for sharing that because I found that our doubt about the efficacy, and I put that into quote marks of the session, if it's working or not, I think that is the hardest part about work, especially when we go professional. Mm-hmm. I think that is probably one of the biggest obstacles. Uh, obstacles we always have the doubt. And as you advance, ironically, as you say, we feel less and less. And if you don't trust, because part of the practice is you get so used to the energy, perhaps I don't know what's the theory, but I feel a lot less. At the beginning, I used to feel like so much. And now I don't feel anything except love, compassion, emotions, beautiful emotions. And I have to trust that it's working because, you know, it's it's part of the process. But at the beginning, it's, it's pretty hard. So I really appreciate you saying, and I think you frame it beautifully. The fact that you don't feel doesn't mean the other person doesn't. I see right. animal as we're talking today, very dual. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's really useful information if you're working with the animals, because again, you know, you don't, you know, they're kind of moving around and you're not doing your hands on. So your hands aren't feeling anything directly, right. You might, you might not, but um, yeah, it's, you never know. You just never know with the energy. All about trust. Thank you so much. Thank you, Natalie. Really grateful for you sharing your wisdom. I think what I love about this interview is we really were able to get almost like the lessons from human to animals and animals animals to humans. Also sharing, again, the process of being a doula for animals and their human companions. Like some of the stuff I didn't even know we could do as practitioners, you know, with the right training. So I really, really appreciate uh, everything you do. And also all the wonderful work of talking to your senator and all of that, which now completely impressed. I, you know, sometimes there is this expression unsung hero. So I it feel like it fits here. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. That's really kind. I appreciate that, Natalie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Such a treat. Thank you for listening to the Dive into Reiki podcast. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at diveintoreiki.com slash blog. If you found this episode helpful, please hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, or just share it with your friends. It makes all the difference. Thank you. Gracias. Merci.